This morning, I've already had a couple of people come up to me and say, oh, you've drawn the short straw again, haven't you, Deborah? There we go, never mind. My, uh, my mother-in-law's name is Deborah, but it's spelled differently, so I'm not preaching about her. So that's fine. I'm safe. Um, I thought I'd start by kind of catching us up to and, and the story so far. You know, like they sort of say on, uh, on these American TV shows, you know, previously, in E100. So if we have our first slide. There you go. Previously, in Essential 100 Old Testament. Um, we're up to Judges now. Um, so if we have the, the next slide. Um, I found this picture on the, on the old Tinter web, so I thought it was quite good. Um, we've, uh, so we've started at, at the beginning, funnily enough, top left-hand corner in the beginning, and we've sort of looked at creation, and we've come through um, the children of Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, and then we heard about Joseph going to Egypt, and that's how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. Um, and then we've talked about Moses and the exodus from Egypt. Um, and last week we looked at Joshua. Um, so Joshua succeeded Moses after Moses died, and he was the one that actually led the pe- people of Israel into the promised land. Um, and it's at this point I realize I've left my notes over here. Otherwise I would have had to try and remember the 12 tribes of Israel by heart, and I don't. Um, so it was Joshua that led the, the people of Israel into the promised land. And when they got there, it was Joshua who then kind of divvied up the promised land between the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, if you remember back to the story about Joseph, um, Joseph's dad was... Anyone? Good. Jacob, well done. Um, but his name was changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons, and they were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, Joseph had two sons called Manasseh and Ephraim, and they were adopted by Israel, Jacob. So when they got to the promised land and Joshua was divvying it all up, um, if we go to the next slide, um, Issachar and, sorry, not Issachar, Manasseh and Ephraim got David's, not David, it's me, right, start again. Manasseh and Ephraim got Joseph's share of what you should have got. Um, Now the, the mathematicians among you will have worked out that if you take 12, remove 1 and add 2, that gives you 13. Um, And there are 12 tribes, and that's because Levi were the priests, so they didn't actually get an allocation of land, they got the rights to kind of be wherever they liked. Um, So these are the the 12 tribes of Israel as it would have been um, sort of round about the time of the judges. I do think Manasseh seemed to get a pretty good deal out of it since he wasn't actually an original son. He got a pretty big chunk, him and his descendants, because um, we are talking about the descendants by now, not the actual people. Um, and Benjamin, despite being 
reputedly um, Jacob's favorite. Didn't get an awful lot, but there we go. Um, our story in, in Judges takes place, and I'm not here. Our story takes place around Mount Tabor, and we haven't got Derek and Steph. Um, but Mount Tabor was kind of between, if you see towards the top, you've got Zebulun, which is the kind of bluey colored one next, next to Asher's on the coast. Thank you. Um, Zebulun and then Issachar to the south, um, and that's, that's sort of the area we're, we're talking about. Uh, but if we have our next slide, so we're up, we're up to Judges now. Um, next slide. Now, the book of Judges um, comes, as I said, after Joshua had died, um, and there are several judges in Judges, that's why it's Judges, not Judge. Um, and, and there's a kind of a pattern of events that goes along. What happened was Joshua died, and then without a strong leader, the Israelites kind of started fighting amongst themselves. And as often seems to be the case with the people of Israel, after a couple of generations, they've forgotten everything that God ever did for them, and they start turning to the, the gods of the people who are already there, and they sort of say, well, we've forgotten about our God who brought us out of Egypt, and oh, you've got a God that is a big pole, we'll worship that instead, or whatever else. And um, having kind of forgotten about God and been, if you like, corrupted by the people around, they then start to suffer numerous defeats and get overwhelmed by the people whose land it is originally. I mean, you know, it's the promised land, but these are people coming out of Egypt and going, hey, our God's told us this is our land, and the folk that live there go, is it really? Funny, I thought I lived here. So they weren't, you know, it's not just a kind of a, a, it's not like moving house, where you move in and they move out and everybody shakes hands and it's all happy. You know, this, this, we are talking about, essentially, an invasion. Um, and having forgotten about God and having wandered away from God, um, we read in verse 15 of chapter 2 of Judges um, that the people of Israelites suffered numerous defeats and were in great distress. So God sent them the first judge. And if we have a, a pattern through, you can see what happens is Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, so God, uh, they cry out to God. God kind of leaves them to it. It's like, if you want to be like that, that's fine, but I'm not getting involved. Uh, so the people are then given into the hands of their enemy and they cry out to God. And then God raises up a leader or a judge. Um, and, and so I, get, I guess that's where we get to by the time the first judge comes up. Um, so what happens next is the Holy Spirit kind of comes upon that leader and, and they are they're recognized as not just being someone who's bigger than everybody else and says, you will all do what I tell you. They're recognized as actually being God's appointed leader uh, for the, the people of Israel. Um, and next point subsequent to that, because they are God's appointed leader, they are then able to, to defeat the enemy who has oppressed the people of Israel. Um, and finally, peace is regained. Usually until a generation or so after that leader has died and everyone has forgotten everything that God had done for them and we're back up at number one and Israel is doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and the people are given into the hands of their enemies and they cry out for help and God sends them a judge. So if we go to the next slide, 
There's our list of the main judges in the book of Judges. Othniel, the first one, um, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Jephthah, and Samson. And Deborah is the one we're interested in today. Um, but as you can see, you know, she, she's number three on the list, so we've already had a couple of cycles of this doing evil in the eyes of the Lord and forgetting all about him, and then God actually saying, well, here we go, here's Othniel, he'll sort everything out. And they all turn back to God, and Othniel sorts everything out, and then he dies, and you get the picture. Let's find out what the Bible says about Deborah. Can we have our, our, our first reading, and then the second reading follows straight on. Thank you. Yes, I'm reading from Judges 5, 1 to 11, and it's the song of Deborah. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord, I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shoot, the heavens poured, and the clouds poured down water. The mountains quake before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Enath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased. Ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. And when they choose new, chose new gods, war came to the city gates. And not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princess, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. And then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Amen. Wake up. Wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, great out in song. Arise, O Barak, take your captive captives, O son of Abinoam. Then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, who, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? 
In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens the stars fought, from the courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river, the river Kishon. March on, O my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its mighty, its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he lay, where he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother behind the lattice. She cried out, Why is chariot taking so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her lady answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding, finding and dividing the spoils, a girl or two for each man? Colourful garments as plunder for Sisera, colourful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck, all this is plunder. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may they who love you be like the sun when it shine, rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. Thank you for reading and all those difficult names. Um, I deliberately picked... Chapter 5, Song of Deborah, because a lot of biblical scholars, and I'm definitely not one of them, reckon that this is one of the oldest passages in the Bible. Having studied the grammar and the structure and everything else, they reckon it could have been written something round about 12th century BC, which means it would have been written pretty much at the time what, you know, what, we, what we know is what was written pretty much at the time. So it's, it's like a, an actual account. You know, in other weeks when Andrew's shown us the pictures of Joseph and goes, you know, obviously that's not a photo that was taken at the time. Well, actually, this is a report or a song that was written pretty much at the time. Unfortunately, because it's a song, it's a bit difficult sometimes to work out what's going on. So, let's see if we can make a bit of sense of it. What do we know was happening? This is our pattern of events from the book of Judges that we looked at before. So, Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. The people cry out for help. God brings up a leader. The Holy Spirit comes upon that leader. The leader defeats the enemy. 
peace is regained. So how does that relate to Deborah specifically? So go to the next slide. Israel has been doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they're given into the hands of Jabin or Jabin, king of Canaan. And specifically Sisera, who was his commander. And at that point, the Canaanites, who had iron chariots, which apparently aren't iron chariots, they're normal wooden chariots, but all the fittings are iron, um, were quite good and successful at oppressing the Israelites. Um, the chariots gave them a massive advantage. The Israelite armies didn't have chariots until about the time of King Solomon. So they're a long time away from having anything like that. They've got this technologically superior enemy oppressing them. So they cry out to God for help. And God raises up Deborah and Barak. Not Obama. Chapter 4 tells us a little bit more about Deborah. Um, she was a woman, which actually is quite important because there aren't a lot of stories in the Bible about women. And here's a story that has two strong women. If the Spice Girls thought they'd invented girl power, <laughs> they were wrong. She is. Deborah was, Deborah is, in, in chapter 4, we're told Deborah is a prophet um, and, and a judge. Now, slightly confusingly, in the book of Judges, the term judge quite often just means leader, but in this case, they think it actually means a proper judge. Um, because it talks about she would, uh, people would come to her with problems and she would sort of, she was seen as someone wise and she would help them to decide what they should do. So she did actually judge as well as lead. Um, and as I said, she was a prophet. And the fact that she's described as a prophet means that they obviously saw that what she said came from God. She wasn't just, she wasn't just wise, she wasn't just clever. What she said came from God. She was a prophet. She was speaking the words of God. A lot of the other judges are also warriors. So the likes of Gideon and Samson are, are warriors themselves. Deborah isn't quite. She's got Barak. Essentially what she does is she, inspired by God, being a prophet, calls for Barak, the commander, and says... Go and pick a fight with Sisera. Go up to Mount Tabor and pick a fight with this guy with his 600 chariots because God will bring him to the, the, uh, the river, which the name has gone. What was it? Who was listening? What was the river called? Kishon, thank you. <laughs> Go to the river Kishon and God will deliver Sisera into your hands there. And it's the song in chapter 5 that tells us what happened. Barak got an army made up of the tribes of Israel, but not all of them, because that's the other thing the song says, is, you know, Dan, where were you? Where were you lot? You were all sitting by the coast. Your pals were further down the coast playing with their boats. Some of the tribes of Israel gathered together to fight Sisera. And 
the river Kishon was more of a wadi, it was a dried up river. So Sisera thought this would be a good place to put his army, and then there was a torrential downpour, and this dried up river valley became an actual river, and the chariots got swept away and stuck in the mud and became absolutely useless, and that's how Barak was able to rout that army. Um, So the Holy Spirit coming upon Deborah is, is, is that, that word from God to say, get Barak and get that up, take that army and take the fight to Sisera. And then Barak defeats Sisera with a little help. Um, in chapter 4, when, when Deborah says to Barak, you have to go and start this fight, Barak says, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're the prophet. You told me that God will do it, but um, will you come with me? And she says, yeah, I'll come with you, but because, because I'm coming with you now, it's going to be a woman that's going to get the credit for, for your victory, not you. But in actual fact, it's not Deborah who gets the credit for defeating Sisera. It's Jael and her tent peg. Um, I was telling Tim before, I've got a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Bible, which does a little sort of summary of, of, of the the different books. And in Judges it says you should read Judges and learn a new use for a tent peg. She says, um, Sisera certainly got the point. Such a thing had never entered his head before. Um, the slightly different, it is bad isn't it? But <laughs> the slightly different accounts between chapter 4 and chapter 5. In chapter 4 it talks about him having fallen asleep and she comes in and basically nails him to the floor through his head. Um, chapter 5 it doesn't sound quite so much like he's asleep but either way um, Jael defeats Sisera um, and Barak obviously defeats the rest of the army and then peace is restored for 40 years until the Israelites have forgotten all this and the cycle starts again what can we learn because sometimes some of these passages, are, they're a bit obscure, and it's a bit kind of like, okay, so what we're talking about is the Israelites have come in, they've invaded someone else's land, and then, the, and then they're getting God to help them to kick them all out. And, you know, I think in one of our men's groups, we were talking, in, and Dave talked about, I think, was it someone that said, to, described to you that the Old Testament is before God became a Christian? <laughs> And, it, and it's, it's quite easy to sort of go, oh, well, you know, yeah, God in the Old Testament was different from God in the New Testament. But as our banner there reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can't say that God in the Old Testament was a different type of person, God, whatever, to the God of the New Testament. So how do we kind of square all these battles and tent pegs through the heads and all the rest of it in the Old Testament with Jesus telling us that we should sort it all out with a cup of tea and a hug or, <laughs> or love, love your neighbour as you love yourself it's important to remember and, and I think it works particularly well with chapter 5 which was written we think at the time that the Old Testament was written the Bible was written by people they might have been inspired by God, but they were still people, and they had an agenda, and they had something they were trying to get across. So when 
Someone wrote down the song of Deborah. Maybe Deborah wrote it down herself. Who knows? There was something, they wrote it down for a reason. So when we read these things, we, we need to sort of remember, right, okay, what was it that was important enough for someone to tell this story? The Bible wasn't actually written down in many cases until relatively recently. So this song survived 1,400 years, 12th century BC through to now. It must have been important to somebody for it to keep being told, keep being told, keep being told, until somebody then thought, this is important enough to write down, I'm writing this down. What was happening in the world at this time? The people of Israel had been promised the promised land by God. And they'd arrived, and there were other people there who didn't know God, weren't interested in knowing God, had their own gods, were quite happy with them. Thank you very much. Not interested. If you read the account of how the, the land was divvied up by Joshua, uh, Joshua chapter 11, verse 23 through to verse 19, chapter 19, verse 51, if you're interested, you actually read that not all of the tribes of Israel kicked out the people who were there. Some of them actually managed to live alongside them peacefully. Some of them they enslaved, having been slaves themselves. Um, And some of them they they kicked out, wiped out, and and whatnot. We're talking about 12,000, sorry, 1,200, 1,400 years ago. So when you hear accounts, not just here, but in other parts where what's recorded is that God said, go and wipe out all those people. And when you read about what happened to some of the tribes when they didn't wipe out all the people, you can see what what happened was you fought someone, you killed a lot of them because you were fighting them, you won the battle. Often if you didn't wipe out the rest of them, you just left some people who were hacked off, cheesed off, and warlike, who came back and had another go at you. So whilst it's difficult for us now to think, well, why didn't they treat them more nicely? Why did they wipe them all out? That was what, that was what they were all doing to each other pretty much all the time. The people that the Israelites didn't wipe out were waiting to wipe them out anyway. think. Getting there. And actually, in some ways, without getting too political, you can almost see the same thing still, still happening in that region. Israel is a country surrounded by other countries who would quite happily see Israel wiped off the map. And Israel quite hap- you know, Israel's response to any sort of minor act of aggression is a, a major act of aggression back to say, you know, you hit me, I'll hit you back twice as hard and you'll think twice as, twice as long before you hit me again. But going back to Deborah and Sisera and the tent peg and Barak and everything else, what was happening in the world at that time? They'd just arrived in the promised land. They were trying to settle it. They kept... 
drifting away from God. And as soon as they drifted away from God, all these Canaanites and everyone else came piling back in and took over. So they're in another period of God having raised someone up and they're kind of pushing back the boundaries again. And what they're recording is how that happened. And one of the things I think that's important, I said before, is that Deborah's a woman and Jael's a woman. And, and at the risk of sounding sexist, it's kind of the people of Israel recording that even a woman, with God's help, can defeat this Canaanite army, can defeat this commander, this guy Sisera that they were terrified of, turns out to meet his, to meet his end at the hands of a woman. I think it was recorded and reminded to encourage people. A lot of what is recorded in the Bible from before the Israelites went off into exile in Babylon was actually not written down until they were in exile in Babylon and it was all these stories that they knew and they were in exile and they're sitting in Babylon going, well, where do we go from here? And they start telling each other, this, do you remember the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho? Oh, yeah, and, we check, uh, and, and, and the people march around. Let's write that down so we don't forget it. Do you remember the story of Samson and Delilah? Oh, yeah, yeah, she was a nasty piece of work, wasn't she? Yeah, let's write that down so we don't forget. You know, never have another haircut. Do you remember the story of Deborah? Do you remember when Deborah was the... Oh, yeah. And do you remember what happened to Sis? Oh, yeah, the tent peg. Let's write that down. It was kept alive and recorded because even within this this pattern, you can almost imagine the next time, you know, after the end of the 40 years of peace, the next time they're sort of crying out for help, they're probably crying out saying, send us someone like Deborah. They probably cried out, they probably got Deborah having cried out saying, send us someone like Ehud. You know, Gideon arrived, having heard them saying, you know, we want someone like Whoever it was before him, I can't remember the list now. (laughs) They forget enough to drift away from God, but they don't forget that God will save them. They don't forget that God is powerful enough to save them, even with a couple of feeble women. I don't, think, I don't actually think either of them were particularly feeble women. I think Deborah was probably a really important person before anybody thought about writing down what she did or recording what she did. The fact that she was a judge, the fact that people took decisions to her and said, you help us to sort this out, will you? you know, you're, you're wise, you listen to God, you'll make the right decisions for us. I think she was a really important person. I'm probably doing her a grave misjustice, ironically, by suggesting that she's only recorded because she's a woman and, and, and she led them to victory. I think there's probably, if, if, I'd, if I'd done more research, I probably would find that she's, what little we know of her, she's still an important female leader in the Bible. And the thing is, 
that's all great, and that's a really interesting history lesson if you like that kind of thing, but the next time I go camping, those tent pegs are only going in the ground. If Rachel and I have had a row the night before, I'm hiding the tent pegs, Carol, and the mallets. This isn't a lesson in how to tent peg someone to the floor or... I don't, I, like I say, I think it goes beyond even just, oh, God can use even a woman. But I think, as was originally intended, I think it's a story to inspire. I can imagine this story being told to, to little Israelite girls. Be like Deborah. Be wise. Be powerful. Be inspired by God. I can imagine it being told to little Israelite boys, be like Barak. Don't be scared to take your orders from a woman. But be obedient to what God wants. Because God will deliver your enemies into your hands. I can imagine it being told to other Israelite girls, being encouraged to be like jail. Be brave. Don't be scared to get your hands dirty, perhaps. So we've told this story this morning. We've told it to ourselves. So who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like Deborah? Guys, you can be like Deborah too. You don't have to dress differently or anything. But you can be wise. You can be open to what God is saying to you. You can be prepared to say what God is saying. I would imagine that when Deborah felt that God was saying, get Barak and get him to start a fight with Sisera and all his chariots and everything else, she'd have probably thought, that ain't a particularly popular message to give. It's one of the things that kind of prophets stand out for. They don't walk around saying, I want you all to know that God loves you and he, he thinks you're all super. He does. Prophets don't often say that. Prophets are the ones saying, you have messed up. God is not happy. You need to sort this out. Or God is saying, we need to get an army and we need to go and kick these guys out, otherwise we'll never have peace. Or you, king, whoever, are leading this country in the wrong way and you need to repent and turn back to God or whatever it is. Prophets do not generally give popular messages. Are we prepared to say something that we think might not be popular, but we know is from God? There's a big word in there, which is no. We know it's from God. This isn't just about, I've had an idea. If I tell everybody it's from God, they'll have to listen to me. I'm just going to spout whatever I want. This is, prophets were recognized as speaking God's word. The New Testament tells us that some of us will have the gift of prophecy. Some of you will have the gift of prophecy. And you might be a bit scared to use it because the messages you get in aren't things that you think people will want to hear. But they will always be things that people need to hear. If Deborah hadn't given Barak the message, 
to get the army and go to Mount Tabor, they'd have still been being oppressed by the Canaanites for years after. They wouldn't have had 40 years of peace. Do you want to be like Barak? Ladies, you can be like Barak too. You don't have to stick armor on. You don't have to go into battle. Not an actual battle. But are you prepared to hear a message from God, to understand that it's a message from God and not just something that somebody wants to tell you because they want to make life difficult? Are you prepared to obey what's being said, to obey God, to do what God's telling you to do, even although it's going to be difficult Barak would have known that it would be nigh on impossible to go and fight the Canaanites and not have any of his men get hurt, injured or killed. But he knew that it was necessary to do it, so he did it. He knew it was God telling them to do it through Deborah, so he did it. Are we prepared to do what we know God is telling us to do, even though it's going to be difficult, even though it might hurt some of us, and I don't mean callously. I don't mean, I don't care if other people get hurt. This is what I'm going to do. I mean, I know this is going to be really difficult. I know this isn't going to be easy. I know this might cause some people hurt or upset. But I know that this is what God is telling us to do. And God will look after or provide people to look after the people that are hurt or upset. Do you want to be like jail? Do you want to be left in a situation where suddenly... The biggest, baddest of bogeymen of the time, because that's what Sisera was essentially. He was he was the number one bad guy in the land at that time. Is outside her tent and she's going, "Yeah, come in with me. Come on in. I'll look after you. Don't you worry." <laughs> Are you prepared to possibly even be a bit sneaky to deliver what God needs you to deliver? I don't mean callously underhand, but I mean clever. Sometimes there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Sometimes the head-on approach might not be the right approach to get what we want, to do what God is telling us to do. There's one other big character if you like, in this. And I don't mean God. God's throughout the whole thing. The Israelites. Are we going to be like the Israelites? Are we going to have seasons of being close to God and listening to God and doing what God wants us to do? And then, sometimes with us, I guess, sometimes it's hard times come and then we forget about God. Sometimes it is that we forget about God and then hard times come. Sometimes the two are so interlinked because life is never perfect even when we are close to God that it's almost impossible to tell which came first the hard times or, or us forgetting about God but are we going to forget about God are we going to drift away from God until things get so bad that we realise what we've missed what's missing, what's different, what's changed why am, why am I in this situation Why, God, I've forgotten about God I need to go back to God. I need God to help me to sort this out. 
I'm saying don't be like the Israelites because I'm saying let's not go through that cycle again and again and again. Let's try our very best to always remember that God is there and God loves us and God cares for us and God's plan for our lives is the absolute best plan our lives could have. But actually, there's a lot to be said for the Israelites that when they did drift, when things did get so bad, they still remembered to cry out to God. And every time God sent someone to restore them, to bring them back, to help them. At no point in that pattern does it get to the point where God goes, this is the sixth time I have sent someone. I am not sending anyone else. This is the last one. God did get to the point where he says, I'm not sending anyone else. Because he said, I'm sending my son. And I'm sending him to sort it all out so that I don't need to send anyone else. So when we drift, because we will, we try not to, but we will. We drift away from God. Remember that when you step closer to God, God steps closer to you. There's always a way back. God doesn't need to send a judge to deliver us because he's already sent his son to deliver us. And that's there forever and for always. I'll stop because is it five past twelve or is it only five past eleven or (laughs) reread the story because it's not a long story. It's only a couple of chapters. Think about who's in it. Think about who you want to be. Is God calling you to be a prophet? Is God giving you words to say? Are you going to be like Deborah and be wise to discern that it's from God and brave enough to say it? Is God giving you a message through someone else that's going to be difficult to put into action? Are you going to be like Barak and say, this is a message from God, I'm going to obey it? Are you suddenly faced with potentially one of your biggest fears and the head-on approach ain't going to work, can you be like jail and be just that little bit sneaky? Find that other way around. There's the reputedly the old African proverb, isn't there, of what's the best way to eat an elephant? One mouthful at a time. Rather than being overwhelmed by the problem, she didn't look, she didn't say... Hey, Sisera, I'm going to run away. I'm going to hide. She dealt with it, but not quite in a head-on, head-to-head fight. Remember the Israelites. Remember that they drifted. Remember that we drift. And sometimes when things aren't going as well as we'd like, as well as we'd hoped when it feels like if this is God's plan then it's pretty rubbish if it feels that rubbish it probably isn't God's plan and that's probably because you've drifted away from God but God is always there for you God doesn't need to send another Deborah because he sent Jesus Jesus